Hey, welcome to the show, thepetecalendarshow.com. Go find me on the website. You can also uh, help keep the show on the air on the digital platforms as well by going to the Patreon account. It's all linked up there. And download the podcast uh, whenever it becomes available to you on your favorite podcasting platform. So uh, after years of being told that uh, they're not going to come and take the guns, you know, um, well, they're going for the guns in Virginia, it seems like. Um, So... Right. So what are the state lawmakers uh, doing up there? Why does it impact North Carolina? Well, they uh, the House of Delegates, that's what they call their General Assembly in Virginia, uh, the House of Delegates, the House side, they passed sweeping gun control legislation last month. And uh, the desire among a lot of folks on the left in North Carolina is that if they can take back the General Assembly here uh, in 2020, they would like to very much see some of those laws get passed here. And so um, one of the candidates that actually won in North Carolina's election, the primary election last week, uh, is riding this issue. He has no experience, as far as I can tell, in elective office. And uh, he rose to fame because he gave a speech at a city council meeting regarding guns. All right, so uh, let me let me start at the beginning with the Virginia uh, House of Delegates and their passage of this bill that would would have banned uh, certain semi-automatic rifles. And just for uh, folks who may not know, semi-automatic means that one trigger pull equals one bullet. And virtually all guns that are for sale in America, all guns that are owned in America, virtually every single one of them are semi-automatic rifles. I know the word semi-automatic sounds scary and dangerous, but it simply means one pull equals one bullet. Um, Also, the law in Virginia would have made the possession of magazines uh, holding more than 12 rounds a felony, quote-unquote high-capacity magazines. So the House voted uh, in support of this legislation in Virginia, 51 to 48. Every single Republican voted against it. There were a bunch of Democrats who joined them, but it didn't matter. It then went to the Senate where it went into a committee. And uh, I have that story here that the seven out of the eight gun control measures that were pushed by Virginia's Democratic Governor Ralph, uh, Ralph Northam, he of the blackface fame, well, and well, well, to be accurate, not sure if he was the one in blackface in the photo. He could have been the one wearing the Klan robes in that picture. He never did say. He couldn't remember which one he might have been, which indicates he either had a lot of, I don't know, uh, blackface party-going opportunities, or he would wear Klan sheets regularly. I'm not sure. But uh, Ralph Northam vowed to push through new gun control laws and back a package of eight bills, including universal background checks, a red flag law, restrictions on gun ownership for those who have been convicted of domestic abuse, and a limit of handgun sales to one per month for an individual, (laughs) which I'm kind of, why one per month? Why, Why not one per six months? Why not two per month? Why one per month? I don't understand. Somebody wants to buy a couple of handguns, they could just go down, buy one today, and then, you know, if it's the last day of the month, then turn around and go back in 
the next day to the gun shop and buy the second one. It's, just, it's one of the things that always strikes me about the nature of the proposed fixes, and I'm using air quotes around that, these fixes. They always seem to be just conjured up arbitrarily. You know, like I, I, I don't get why one per month became acceptable. If you're trying to eliminate gun violence, why would you allow any per month for that matter? Anyway, um, legislators last week knocked down one of the measures that Northam had pushed. And this was, uh, by the way, a Reuters story on the uh, on this uh, legislation that was in the Senate. It did get out of the committee, uh, but one of the provisions didn't make it through. And that was the ban on, quote, assault style rifles, <laughs> which lawmakers in his own party did not support. Okay. So that was the, so now it's going to go to the full Senate, by the way. And um, Democrats in November won control, uh, uh, this was in 2019, won control of both the House and the uh, Senate, and they have the governor's mansion. So now it's the first time since 1994 that they are in control. In concert with Democratic Governor Ralph Northam, state lawmakers are attempting to pass a flurry of liberal-leaning laws on gun control, abortion, and other issues. So I thought this was interesting because North Carolina saw the same thing, except it was the Republican Party. Right? And by the way, I was reading there from a, a story that is linked up at the Patreon page for all of the patrons. You guys get access to all of the links and Pete's prep uh, and uh, write-ups on all the, the guests that we that we bring in. And we will be talking in a bit with uh, A.P. Dillon is her name, and she is a reporter for the North State Journal. So we'll be talking with her later about uh, all of this. But um, because there's a tie-in here, there's this spread of uh, sanctuary counties in North Carolina for... Second Amendment supporters, uh, this this sort of Second Amendment sanctuary county movement is spreading all over the state of North Carolina in direct response to what occurred in Virginia right across the border. But we saw a similar uh, behavior out of the Republican Party when they took control of the General Assembly in 2010, uh, when they won in 2010 and actually got sworn in and began uh, to exert their uh, their agenda in 2011. But it was interesting because everybody framed this as like, oh my God, they're dragging the state to the right and we're going backwards and it's regressive and all this other stuff. But when but when the Democrats get back control after just, what are we talking about? 94 to 2020, we're talking what? 15 years, 20 years out of power? And they get back into power and they're immediately racing to do all of the gun grabbing all the abortion stuff, all of their, all of these things that they haven't been able to do in Virginia for just 25 years because they were in power up until 94, right? So Republicans take over in North Carolina and they hadn't been in control for a century and a half, right? which I kept telling Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, I kept telling them after the uh, Republicans took over in 2011 I said, of course, they're going to be affecting changes. They haven't had any opportunity to get anything that they wanted done for a century and a half. They've been out of power. So, yes, of course, they're going to be uh, they're going to be making changes because they haven't had a, uh, an opportunity to do so. So the push then to restrict the Second Amendment rights um, in Virginia prompted 
uh, well, it's not only it's not just in Virginia, but that's the most it's the closest and it's the most recent and it's the most obvious efforts underway. But there are people here in North Carolina running for office that have won office. They very much want to see some of these same rules enacted in North Carolina if they can. And so in 2018, so even before the Democrats took over in Virginia, but in 2018, Cities and counties in North Carolina began doing this, uh, these types of uh, resolutions and local laws. Why? Well, it was in response to the shooting in Florida, the Parkland High School shooting, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, High School shooting. And right after that, the Greensboro City Council tried to cancel a gun show at the city-owned uh, Coliseum, the Greensboro Coliseum. And it prompted a backlash and it prompted all these folks to come down to the city council meeting and to exercise their First Amendment right to uh, seek redress, right, of their government. So here is a fellow, his name is Mark Robinson. I'm going to play you his entire, uh, all of his comments here. They run about four and a half minutes. These comments... First off, they went viral. After he made this speech at city council, went viral, got shared all over the place. He then launched essentially a, a, a career over the last, I guess, year and a half as uh, going around as a public speaker. So here is what he said. And then, well, spoiler alert, he parlayed this into a run for lieutenant governor, North Carolina, and he won the other day. <laughs> he won. So here is the speech that he delivered that propelled him uh, basically into the 2020 uh general election right now. Mr. Robinson? Yes. Okay. Uh, I didn't have time to uh, You have to give us your name. Oh, I'm sorry. My name is Mark Robinson. I live That's right here in Greensboro. lived in Greensboro all my life. Uh, I didn't have time to write a fancy speech. I didn't have time to, you know, I didn't have the, the resource of an English teacher to sit down and write a speech with at school today and be, you know, bought over here or practice or anything. What I really came down here for is this. Uh, I've heard a whole lot of people in here talking tonight about this group and that group and domestic violence and blacks, these minorities and that minority. What I want to know is, when are you all going to start standing up for the majority? And here's who the majority is. I'm the majority. I'm a law-abiding citizen who's never shot anybody, never committed a serious crime, never committed a felony. I've never done anything like that. But it seems like every time we have one of these shootings, Nobody wants to blame, put the blame where it goes, which is at the shooter's feet. You want to put it at my feet. You want to turn around and restrict my right, constitutional right that's spelled out in black and white. You want to restrict my right to buy a firearm and protect myself from some of the very people you're talking about in here tonight. It's ridiculous. I don't think Rod Serling could come up with a better script. It does not make any sense. The law-abiding citizens of this community and many communities around this country, we're the first ones taxed and the last ones considered and the first ones punished when things like this happens because our rights are the ones that are being taken away. That's the reason why I came down here today, gun show or no gun show, NRA or no NRA. I'm here to stand up for the law-abiding citizens of this community because I'm going to tell you that what's going to happen. You can take the guns away from us all you want to. You all write a law, I follow the law, I'll bring my guns down here, I'll turn them in. But here's what's going to happen. 
the Crips and the Bloods on the other side of town, they're not going to turn their guns in. They're going to hold on to them. And what's going to happen when you have to send the police down there to go take them? The police can barely enforce the law as it is. As what I see, we demonize the police, criminalize and, and, and vilify the police, and we make the criminals into victims. And we're talking about restricting guns? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that when the police department's already hamstrung? You're not going to be able to go down here and take these guns from these criminals. So the criminals are going to hold on to their guns. They're still going to have them. They're still going to break in my house, and they're still going to shoot me with them. And guess who's going to be the one that suffers? It's going to be me. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, it is not going to happen without a fight. And when I say fight, I don't mean shots fired. I don't mean fists thrown. I mean I'm going to come down here to this city council and raise hell just like these loonies from the left do until you listen to the majority of the people in this city. And I am the majority. The majority of the people in this city are law-abiding. And they follow the law. And they want their constitutional right to be able to bear, to bear arms. They want to be able to gun go to the gun show and buy a hunting rifle or a sport, a sport rifle. There are no military-grade weapons sold, showed, uh, sold at the uh, gun show. An AR-15 is not a military-grade weapon. Anybody that would go into combat with an AR-15 is a fool. It's a semi-automatic 22 rifle. You'd be killed in 15 minutes in combat with that thing. So we need to dispel all these myths, and we need to drop all this, all this division that we got going on here. Because the bottom line is, when that Second Amendment was written, whether the framers liked it or not, they wrote it for everybody. And I am everybody. And the Lord Biden citizens of this city are everybody. And we want our rights, and we want to keep our rights. And by God, we're going to keep them. Come hell or high water. Hi. So not bad for a guy who didn't practice a speech or didn't have. <laughs> I thought he did a great job. And uh, if that's how he speaks, just kind of off the cuff, then it's really no wonder why he's done well in his political run, because uh, he was a former factory worker, a daycare operator, um, Greensboro native Mark Robinson. And he won in the GOP primary. Not only did he win, he did what they couldn't do over on the Democratic side, which was to avoid a runoff. Well, okay. to be fair right now, Terry Van Dyne, the state senator here from uh, Asheville, who uh, retired out of the seat basically to run for lieutenant governor. uh, uh, As of now, she has not announced whether she's going to seek a runoff. Maybe that changes by the time this program airs. But uh, Yvonne Lewis Holly. Uh, one more votes. Holly had like 307,000 votes. Van Dyne had 236,000. But Holly didn't have more than 30% of all the votes because there were a ton of candidates. And so if you don't get more than 30%, you you go to a runoff. And so, or you can go to a runoff if the second place finisher seeks one. And so I expect Van Dyne to seek one, but we'll see. Um, She said, quote, she told the Citizen Times, quote, I need to examine the results and look at the political terrain. There are some folks I need to check with, but I'm going to do what I think is best for moving the Democratic Party forward. Uh, All right. So whoever is going to be the winner out of that contest, they're going to go face Mark Robinson, the Republican who uh, won the GOP primary. Uh, He's, uh, as I said, he was, this is his first time ever running for office, but he got over the 30 percent threshold, so he does not need to um, have a runoff. By the way, how did this all work out in Greensboro? Glad you asked. The Greensboro City Council, <laughs> despite 
despite them looking into canceling that gun show that caused all of this, that launched the, the political career of Mark Robinson, they could not actually legally cancel the gun show. They were not allowed to do that. Uh, so instead, they voted to donate the rental money that they collected from the show organizers. They did, they took the money and gave it to Gun Stoppers, a program that gets illegal guns off the street. <laughs> so, that's so local government, isn't it? Guns were not expected to be a big issue in the North Carolina races. And then Parkland happened. That was the headline at the Charlotte Observer back in June of 2018, right after the shooting uh, in Florida. And uh, there was that one. There was also a shooting in Santa Fe. Um, and Democrats, this is how Jim Morrill wrote the story at the time. After school shootings in Parkland and Santa Fe, Texas, Democrats appeared to have the momentum on gun issues. Why would Democrats have momentum on gun issues? Right, because when a tragedy happens, everybody races in to say, take all the guns. If you ever needed proof that Democrats and the media and gun control advocates that they use mass shootings as the opportunity to try to get legislation passed that they otherwise would never be able to get passed because they're using an emotionally charged atmosphere, um, this is it right here. They, like that's, that's the admission. Democrats appear to have the momentum on gun issues. Why would they have the momentum? Because they're right, they're capitalizing on a crisis. They're not letting it go to waste, shall we say? Polls began showing Americans more receptive to gun control. In Raleigh, Democratic lawmakers tried to even introduce measures that would, quote, among other things, extend the waiting period and raise the age to buy a gun. Both sides of the gun debate expected to be a factor this fall, 2018, and each see it as a way to galvanize their base. Democrats were encouraged by the response of Parkland students, uh, who not only mounted a national march for our lives, but successfully pushed for changes in Florida's law. Uh, quote, I think all of us thought that the Parkland kids' response was going to give added momentum to this issue, said Representative Pricey Harrison, a Greensboro Democrat who supports gun control measures. See, th this is at the same time she's out of Greensboro. She's like uber lefty. If you want to know what the left thinks in the General Assembly, like the far left progressive uh, uh, lawmakers, she is their mouthpiece. Pricey Harrison. And she's out of Greensboro, which is where Mark Robinson came out of for that Greensboro City Council meeting. Republicans, though, Jim Morrill writes at the Charlotte Observer back in June of 2018, he says uh, Republicans found another way to frame the issue. See, because Republicans are framing the issue. Democrats are merely, you know, uh, advancing reforms. Um here is Chris Turner, Mecklenburg County's GOP chairman. He said, quote, ask voters if they want their constitutional rights infringed upon. And that answer is no. And what he's what he's saying there is true, that if you ask people, hey, do you want to eliminate all gun violence by doing this thing? Most people are going to just say yes, by the way you constructed the question. But if you ask people, do you want to give up your Second Amendment constitutional rights? Most people would say no, just because they don't like the idea of giving up any constitutional rights. The way you ask the questions is important. Uh, 10th District GOP Chairman Brad Overcash, he said blaming school shootings on guns 
is as misplaced as blaming trucks for terrorist attacks that mow down people on sidewalks. Quote, attempts by the left to conflate the two are, uh, one, disingenuous, and two, a political tactic to fire up the left. Now, David McLennan is a political scientist at Meredith College in Raleigh, and he said that guns are a cultural issue for many voters. Quote, I think this is an attempt to get the cultural issues going so Republicans come out to vote. It's all part of trying to gin up the Republican base. History tells us that cultural issues can be very effective for Republicans. It's a strategy that Republicans have used on a range of cultural issues, right? Because Democrats don't use cultural issues to fire up their base, right? Democrats are not using gun control to gin up their base, right? Look, we all have the same goals here. I would like to think. I'm assuming we all have the same goals, I guess, that we want to stop mass shootings. We don't like them. We want to reduce gun violence in general. Those would be good things. The The, the, the difference here is that folks on the right, generally speaking, have a different way of achieving the goal, a different idea of what would work versus folks on the left who have a different idea. They think if we just could take up all the guns, then that would get rid of the the gun violence. The right doesn't think that that's a realistic solution. There are too many guns and the bad guys don't give them up. That's generally how that goes. And even if all the bad guys gave up all the guns and all the good guys gave up all the guns and every citizen had no more guns, there's still going to be a group of people with the guns. Yeah, the government. <laughs> that's which that is the whole point. Which That was the whole point of the Second Amendment was to protect the citizens from a government that goes tyrannical, right? That's the point. Now, if these aren't your goals, if the goals aren't to protect the the citizens from a tyrannical government, if the goals aren't to reduce all the mass shootings, if the goals aren't to reduce gun violence in general, if those are not the goals, then uh, maybe, I don't know, some folks who are all about the gun grabbing need to tell us what their goals are. Maybe be honest about what the goals are, you know, even if it means, you know, an admission that you're not really interested in these gun violence stats going down. You just want the guns gone or an attempt to make the guns all go away. I guess the Brady pack, the Brady Center, Brady pack, one of the nation's most prominent gun control groups. Um, they actually entered this year's primary race for U.S. Senate. They backed the Democratic frontrunner, Cal Cunningham, who won uh, that primary over Erica Smith. So you'll recall, or maybe you don't, but Erica Smith, she's the more progressive former state lawmaker. Cal Cunningham served like one term back in like 20 years ago in the General Assembly. And uh, she was uh, positioning herself as the more progressive candidate, and uh, he was more establishment kind of candidate. And like, to be fair, he got the backing of Chuck Schumer. This was the whole windowless basement comment where um, there was another fellow named Jeff Jackson, who's a state senator out of Mecklenburg County. And he was contemplating running for this uh, primary nomination as well. He's a Democrat. And uh, when he talked to Senator Chuck Schumer uh, in anticipation of launching his bid, Chuck Schumer said, well, what do you want to do? How do you want to run this race? And Jeff Jackson reportedly told him, you know, he wanted to do a 100-county tour, you know, barnstorm across the state. And Schumer said, no, you're not going to do that. I'm going to lock you in a windowless basement, and you're going to basically dial for dollars for six months. And Jackson 
didn't want to do that, he said, and so he decided not to run. Well, Cal Cunningham apparently did decide to do that, <laughs> and he needed it. He needed to spend, I think, like $14 million in order to get through this primary against Erica Smith, who, let's be fair, like not a lot of people know who she is, but um, he won, he beat her, but the Brady Political Action Committee, Brady Pack, they backed Cal Cunningham over Erica Smith. Even though Cunningham, when he was a state lawmaker, he had an A-plus rating from the NRA. <laughs> and Erica Smith had an F from the NRA. So the Brady, <laughs> the Brady pack backed the Democratic guy who they thought could win, even though he had an A-plus from the NRA. And they, they uh, threw the NRA F-rated uh, lawmaker, they threw her under the bus. So here is what Real Clear Politics uh, uh, reported. They quoted Brian Lemick, the Brady Pack's executive director. He said, quote, we see Cunningham as a winner in North Carolina and a winner in our movement. He served on the governor's crime commission and his positions have evolved on these issues. He now supports background checks, banning high-capacity magazines, funding gun violence research, and passing red flag laws. Even though Lemex says he has no doubt that Smith would vote, quote, on our side, the Brady Pack felt compelled to jump in and back Cunningham because control of the U.S. Senate is at stake and sitting GOP Senator Tom Tillis has an A-plus rating with the NRA, which is also what Cunningham had. <laughs> now, I do agree with him on this. It is... Uh, this is going to be for control of the U.S. Senate. So this U.S. Senate race in North Carolina, it's going to get crazy. And if gun control or Second Amendment uh, rights, if this becomes one of the uh, uh, galvanizing issues, the motivating issues for voters, I tend to think that that's going to benefit Tom Tillis as well as Mark Robinson in the lieutenant governor's race and I think a lot of Republicans. Because generally speaking, people go um, people people go towards the Republican position more so than the Democratic position. When you have these debates and you have the argument and people start talking about uh, ways to address the violence, they tend to come to our side, not the other way around. So, um, the Second Amendment Sanctuary County movement, this whole effort. This is, I think, indicative of where people are going to kind of break on this issue. Uh, and up next, we're going to talk with A.P. Dillon from the North State Journal about that very thing. The Second Amendment Sanctuary Counties here in uh, North Carolina. All right, a reminder, thepetecalendarshow.com is the website. You can download the podcasts there uh, and appreciate everybody's support in doing that. Uh, we are now joined by A.P. Dillon, a reporter for the North State Journal. You can read her work at nsjonline.com. Welcome to the show, A.P. How are you? I'm great, Pete. It's nice to be on your brand new spanking show. I That's, love it. I appreciate that. Well, we'll see. We want I want to keep bringing in people uh, from around the state to have longer conversations about stuff that goes on. And you know, in in, in a drive time radio format, we had to speed through a lot of stuff. 
And so I, I kind of felt like I was playing like a rapid fire Q&A with a lot of my guests over the years. So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to just kind of have a lot more time to uh, to kind of go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, and uh, uh, and get more information and more of the details on some of these stories. So um, before you joined us here, we were, we were going over all of the uh, the the news out of Virginia, the House of Delegates and then the uh, the Senate. They approved, they got out of their committee, I should say, it's now going to a full Senate vote, uh, a raft of gun control legislation. Uh, uh, this was all after the the shooting down in Florida at Parkland, and um, then that was 2018. That then propelled Mark Robinson into this spotlight uh, where he made this speech at Greensboro City Council because the city council was trying to uh, cancel a gun show, which they eventually could not do legally. So, uh, But it, it launched his political career, and he won in the— uh, in the GOP primary for lieutenant governor. So let me ask you first, I know this is kind of off topic a little bit, but were you surprised by that result that he did so well in that, in that primary? Not in the slightest. Really? Um, And I'll tell you why. Um, I went down to um, Davidson and um, there was a a forum that was held down in, uh, down in Harnett County um, where all the lieutenant governor positions uh, candidates that were running for the Republicans um, that was being hosted down there. So I went down to cover that. And uh, my article's up on the NSJ site if anyone wants to go back and, and revisit it. But I'll tell you what, whenever Robinson was given a chance to answer and they went, you know, in order for question, they, they had a rotating order, whenever his answer came up, he just sucked all the air right out of the room. Hmm. Um, his answers got the biggest cheers, got the biggest responses from the crowd. Um, people just responded to him. He has an authenticity about him that I think was uh, refreshing to a lot of folks. And he's unapologetic. He gets up there, he believes what he believes, and he stands firm for it. And I think that drew a lot of people to his banner. Did he have, well, I don't want to call him a single-issue candidate because I don't know anything about him and uh, except for that speech he gave. And if you were down there, like, did, did he seem well-versed and up to speed on whatever... I don't know what issues there are for the lieutenant governor. It's not exactly the most powerful position in the state of North Carolina. No. So, like, but he he had a command of the of the issues. It sounds like, but more than just Second Amendment issues. He did, but I wouldn't say that he was overly versed in anything. Um, I mean, most people have to realize this isn't a guy who's ever run for office before. He's he's a, a business person mm-hmm. from the Greensboro area. He's not a not a politician. He is, if you will, a, a Donald Trump. <laughs> he was a business person who decided he'd had enough and was going to run for office. Um, so he's going to have a bit of a learning curve going in, but I think that he's well-equipped to do that. I think that he's going to surround himself with good people. Um, it, it just seems to me like he's got a lot of common sense about him, and he's just going to need to get the lay of the land. I don't expect it to be completely seamless. I don't expect it to be perfect. I expect it. His, if you were to win the lieutenant governorship, I, I think that it'll be a bumpy road. <laughs> and I think he's going to say what he thinks and he's not going to have a filter. And that's, that's going to cause some, some interesting headlines probably. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the media takes that coming from an African American, you know, second amendment defender and businessman from, from Greensboro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not he's not a Democrat, which is usually how they, they would paint someone, someone like him. But yeah, well, he and, was very, yeah, um, vocal about school choice, though. He did mention that quite often that he thinks that parents should be the ones to choose 
that they're the best um, advocate for their kid. And that one that one got resounding applause wow. at that point. Well, and uh, for folks who may not be aware, the lieutenant governor does sit on the uh, state board of education, right? So there is yep. some there is some connection there. Um, and uh, for uh, listening to the speech, the guy walks up there and he says, I didn't have time to do a prepared speech or anything. And he delivered a speech that was flawless. Like he didn't stumble like I do every day on this show. Like he he didn't no ums, no uhs, no stutter. I mean, he just went right through it and and it all timed out perfectly. I, it's, it was impressive. So uh, he seems like the kind of guy that could be a rock star very quickly. So. Um, I think I, he could, and I think that he doesn't stumble, and that it, it, what he says in front of people on the spot like that is because he's actually he's shooting from the gut, mm-hmm. he's shooting from what he really believes. So there, that's why there's no stumbling. Yeah. So uh, not actually why I had you on to talk uh, about this issue, but I'm glad you went down and covered this event because you gave me more insight because I don't know. I, I did not know anything about him until election night because I've been. Oh, the crowd definitely loved him. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, all right. So let, let's talk a little bit about because this it, it, it is connected. The Second Amendment issue is connected because what happened in Virginia prompted a lot of. Uh, Democrats, especially in 2018, after the shooting in Florida, but then for the election cycle, uh, there was a lot. There were a lot of Democrats that started pushing the envelope on various gun control efforts. And Virginia, since Democrats won control of that general or that uh, state house, they have now uh, put some of that stuff down in in bill form, in legislative form. And I suspect just given what I've heard from Democrats in the state of North Carolina at that state legislative level, they're interested in advancing a lot of these same types of laws as well if they take control in 2020 here in North Carolina in this upcoming general election. So I think that is, am I off in thinking or am I correct that that's where all of this Second Amendment sanctuary county movement started in North Carolina as a backlash? I do. I think that a lot of the folks who have gotten up and made public comments at many of these uh, 2A resolution meetings in front of their county commissioners have stated outright that they were watching what happened in neighboring Virginia and that they saw the money that was flowing into North Carolina already to try to tip laws that way when the legislature comes back into session. Um, And I think that folks need to understand that Bloomberg's every town has already dumped $250 worth of ad buys and promotional uh, kind of things into the market here in North Carolina in preparation for legislature coming back. You know, pro-gun law kind of things, you know, um, confiscation of, quote, assault weapons, whatever the heck that is on any given day. Right. Um, the, <laughs> that, that definition keeps floating. Um, but I think that they were worried about that, and they have every right to be worried about that, given some of the rhetoric out of some of the Democrat members of the legislature. You got Marsha Morey, you know, she she all all wants that wants all those guns gone, including some certain handguns. Um, you had that coming out of uh, Terry Van Dyne as well, who was running for lieutenant governor. Uh, I don't know whether or not she's actually fallen under the pressure today to uh, bow out of that race. <laughs> There was going to have to be a runoff. Right. I haven't um, seen either. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that she's made an announcement yet, but no. Yvonne Holly was in the lead for that one. Um, but uh, I think that a lot of citizens were looking at neighboring, you know, Virginia and saying, there before the grace of God go we. Mm-hmm. So we better get on this and get our, our local officials to commit because our representatives aren't. 
So what exactly so I, are yeah what what are the these resolutions? What does it mean to be a sanctuary county? Is it is it do they get some sort of legal protection or anything, or is it is it just like no. a public statement? There, it's it's kind of a symbolic statement. It really is. It's a reaffirmation that no county official will use any funds or any means to infringe upon the constitutional right to carry and bear arms of the citizens under the Second Amendment. So they're trying to get their their congressmen, not their congressmen, their con, their county commissioners to reaffirm their support for the Second Amendment and that they will not follow any laws that might be passed by the legislatures that would infringe on such things. Would that so, be binding? I'm sorry, would that be binding on any sheriffs? No. Okay. Uh, but many sheriffs have been behind these 2A resolutions. There were a couple sheriffs in two different counties. I want to say one was Onslow. Um, I would have to go back and check my notes. But there were several sheriffs that actually showed up and spoke in front of some of these commissions and said, this these, this affirmation needs to be put in place. I wholeheartedly put my, put my name behind it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's kind of telling that local local law enforcement feels that this might actually become an issue at some point. Um, and now with Wilson and Polk this past week, we've got 68 counties now who have passed such a measure. Um, and we could we could see as many as 70 by next week. There are two more counties slated on the list. Um, what I think is interesting is the counties that aren't. And if you were to line up the 2016 map, presidential map, with uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, you're going to see that the counties that are holding off are the same counties that went blue for Hillary Clinton. So uh, the, large counties, yeah, like Mecklenburg, Wake County, Wake County. Mecklenburg, um, Buncombe, <laughs> right? Um, you know, uh, some of the bluer counties that will, where if you were to overlay those two maps, I think that you're going to find a lot of crossover. Yeah. Which uh, and and also those are the counties with these sheriffs that are implementing sanctuary policies on immigration enforcement. Ironically enough, so I guess we'll have like uh, I don't know ninety three counties that are Second Amendment sanctuary counties, and we'll have seven that are illegal immigrant sanctuary counties. <laughs> so everybody will be a yeah. sanctuary, but for something different. <laughs> well, you know, elections have consequences. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the folks they elected these sheriffs and. I don't know if a lot of people really understood what it meant to not honor an ICE detainer. And I think that Wake County and um, Charlotte Mecklenburg in particular are getting a nice eyeful of what that means after having several um, illegal immigrants who were caught up in a crime or arrested or who have been you know, deported several times go back out into the community and hurt the citizenry again. Right. Um, and, 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 what was that one in Charlotte? The, the guy... He went after the same woman twice. Yeah. He tried to kill her and rape her one time. Yep. I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how does, how does you know, your terms are interested that can only go so far with some of these sheriffs. You know, I, I know that they're they're anti-ICE and they're anti-immigration, but you have to be pro-protection of your citizenry. Well, so and it's not I, even... I, these things really boggle my mind. Right, and it's not even just like the citizenry at large. The the people who are most victimized by these repeat, repeat offenders are the very populations that the sheriffs are saying they're not doing the detainer request enforcement or cooperation, that they're not doing that in order to help these, you know, essentially the immigrant and illegal immigrant populations. Well, those are the ones that are getting victimized the most. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's an it's it's an amazing uh, flip of the of the language that's used. It's it just yeah, Buncombe County had one of them, uh, and in fact, the, the local district well, attorney. Too. It was a gentleman who uh, not a gentleman because obviously what he did just doesn't make him a gentleman. But um, he doesn't speak any English whatsoever. He'd been deported once already. He kidnapped a girl from her bus stop, raped her, and then dropped her off at school. And used Google Translate to tell her that he just thought she was really pretty, mm. and that you know. He wanted to see her again. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> um, so, you know, and he had been arrested previously and released. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you've got... It, it, it's, a, it's a really crazy time. There, there is a, yeah, yeah, there was a, and there was a a case out of Buncombe County where the DA actually asked the U.S. attorney uh, to please help. uh, And the the DA here is a Democrat. So uh, it's, it's obviously creating fissures um, depending on, because at some point somebody is going to, you know, I mean, yes, there were rapes and stuff. There's going to be like even more and more examples of this and people are going to get, I think, fed up, but a lot of victims, uh, unfortunately, are going to be left in the in the wake of these policies. So, all right, let me get back to the gun uh, sanctuary uh, policies here. You mentioned every town for gun safety, political action committee. These, uh, this is Bloomberg's group, which uh, Mm. makes me glad actually that he ran for president unsuccessfully and, and, and wasted, you know, $500 million on that when he could have been funding this group instead. So uh, he's already dumped, you said a quarter of a million dollars into North Carolina. How does that compare with, um, with any presence that they had in Virginia? Oh, um, it, it's a little bit less than half, I think. Okay. Um, I want to say half a million dollars went into advertising and pushes in um, in Virginia. Okay. Um, and you saw that massive turnout at the state capitol um, in support of gun rights. Right. And, um, you know, basically the citizenry, you know, very upset with their governor, very upset with their legislature and, and coming out in force. And I mean, there were tens of thousands of people there. It was it was pretty huge. I can't imagine something like that, the legislature even attempting to pass something like that here with the majorities that we currently have. We don't have a supermajority, but I think that that's not going to stop some of the Democrats from filing some bills that are similar to that. Right. In neighboring Virginia, like they already have, there were two bills last year, last term, that were actually um, submitted that were very similar to the legislation that was going on in Virginia. They didn't make it anywhere. They got sent to committee where they went to die. Um, so I really don't know that there there will be that kind of um, ability to do that. I mean, the, the whatever the outcome of the election is this fall, I'm getting a little tongue-tied there, um, I think that if we were to lose any amount of seats on the Republican side and we were to gain more on the Democrat side, that possibly that kind of legislation might make it through passage. And should there still be a Governor Cooper in the, in the driver's seat, that mm-hmm. he could definitely sign that. Yeah. And then I think you might see a march on Raleigh by gun owners in North Carolina, which I think probably outnumbered them, the numbers in Virginia. Um Everyone that I I know owns a gun, right? <laughs> so I mean, not to say that you know I I only consort with with conservative individuals. Um, I don't. I have friends all over the spectrum. I myself am unaffiliated, um, you know. And I, I actually I'm one of those people who will vote for the person who's most qualified. Yeah, <laughs> shocker. Um, but 
I, I just I know there's a lot more of a gun lobby here in North Carolina than there is in Virginia. So I can't imagine that the Democrats truly want to have the gun lobby landing on their front doorstep or, you know, protesting at the legislature, which they would. Mm -hmm. I, I most assuredly have been told by several individuals involved in different gun groups across the state that if this comes to pass, that not only will they protest at the legislature, they'll camp out. Well, and so, there are a lot of people that, that yeah, right, uh, like a Occupy Wall Street. Um, but there, there, there <laughs> were a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There were a lot of people though that from North Carolina that went to Virginia and and marched oh, yeah. with them, and and from all over they they went there. And so I would I would imagine that is that if you have more of these types of protests that occur or demonstrations uh, occur, I would imagine you would have people that now reciprocate. They would, you know, people from Virginia that are fighting up there, they would come down here. But I, like, well, I don't know. I, I I don't make predictions on elections anymore because I, I have proven to myself that I'm not good at it. So uh, I just don't make the <laughs> predictions. So, but, uh, but I got to believe that uh, the Republican position going into the 2020 election at the legislative level is still pretty good I don't know if they lose one or both of the houses uh, or the chambers, you know, the House and or the Senate. I, I don't know. But I, I have not seen any polling on that. And it's going to be really, uh, you know, specific to, I think, each of the races. And a lot can happen between now and then. Uh, I mean, I'm seeing people now that are getting frustrated with Roy Cooper. I saw the over the budget impasse. I've seen uh, the uh, Employees Association of all groups. They're they're touting Dale Falwell, the Republican treasurer and his policy. So, uh, you know, who knows what happens between now and then. But uh, it really, I think, would come down to Democrats having to take over both chambers. And even then, I still want to think, though, because like you said, there are a lot of these county commissioners that are Democrats. They voted for the sanctuary policy, right? They're in support of the Second Amendment sanctuary yeah. county policies yeah. or resolution. I think when you when you look at some of the gun laws that Virginia was, was playing with or Virginia is trying to pass, um, you're looking at restrictions on things that would have absolutely no impact <laughs> on gun violence um, or anything of the sort. I mean, if, if, you know, a lot of them say, oh, but the schools, we don't want to have another school shooter. Well, no one wants to have another school shooter. Mm -hmm. But none of what they're passing is going to have any bearing on that whatsoever. Um, I mean, you look at it, and I think it was the Washington Post did a study that basically said that one in 612 million students across the state, across the country, actually, at any given time in their, in their 12, K-12 life will, you know, encounter a school shooter. Meanwhile, one in 10 students across their K-12 career will likely be abused by an educator, coach, or someone in the education community. Wow. Sexually abused. So, I mean, what are we talking about when we're talking about gun safety and school safety here? We're, we're really talking about a politicization of horrific events. Right. Horrific events that have more often than not had telltale signs and warning signs ahead of the time. I mean, if you're going to look at Parkland... This they knew this kid. They saw this kid coming around the corner years earlier, and nothing was done. In fact, his his ability to harm other students, to get into fights, and to get into trouble was actually facilitated mm. by the policies that they put into place there. Yeah, you know, and, and nobody nobody talked about any kind of gun reform. No, they were they were allowing this juvenile delinquent to be able to ramp up his, 
his attacks on his fellow classmates. So, I mean, that one was facilitated, and that's the one they always point to, and it, it, it irritates me. Yeah. But Well, it's just, it, um, and you mentioned this in your piece at North State. Laws, I think, is where everyone's head really is right now, because yeah. that seems to be the new the new hotness, is um, the red uh, flag laws. Yeah, the red flag. Well, and in concept, I like the idea. I've not seen a good version of it written down yet, though. That's that's sort of no, a problem. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in, in concept, it's it's you know ideally that's that's where you would want to be, but ideally, you know, you wouldn't have it abused in any way, shape, right. or form. But the the way that I've seen them written leaves them wide open for abuse. Leaves it wide open for anyone to say, "Oh, hey, I think this person might be a problem," and wham, you got a judge who's you know anti-gun. Or, you know, wants to make a statement like we do these days, and suddenly you're never going to be able to buy a handgun again. Right. Well, it's so, just you like— You're uh, going to confiscate your guns, and right. that costs money to get them back. You know, it's— It's like every one of these other types of registration lists or, you know, no-fly lists and all that. No. How do you—fundamentals. How do you get on the list? Uh, who maintains the list? Who has access to the list? And then how do you get off the list? Like, what do those processes right. look like? And if you can't, if you can't make that system— uh, uh, transparent, and you can't uh, get pe- you can't allow for people to get off of the list once they get on it. Then, then don't do it. That's just that's how I come down on it. It's like, then don't do it because otherwise you're just going to set up a, a list that that uh, robs people of constitutional rights uh, without due process. And that's a much bigger threat to me, at least. That's a much bigger threat um, than the than the the gun violence. And, and in fact, you mentioned this in your piece talking about the the, the gun violence numbers that this group, Every Town. Uh, USA or what? I don't even know what their name is anymore. They've changed it a couple times, I think. Every town for gun safety, right? So these guys, they put out these stats, and one of the most misleading things about all of the gun violence stats is the inclusion of uh, suicides and domestic violence in with the mass shootings, right? They use all of the the, the whole universe of gun violence in an effort to attack uh, uh, certain types of weapons used in a in a tiny percentage of uh, all crimes, right, or gun crimes at that, uh, these right. mass shootings. Most, the vast majority of gun deaths in America, suicides. Then the, the second most is domestic violence. And, and then the third is, uh, uh, and street violence, rather, uh, you know, uh, gang violence and such. How do you, so all of, how do you get at those solutions require different approaches in each case? One size is not going to fit all to address suicides, to address domestic violence, to address gang violence or to address mass shootings. They're all different. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good that you actually brought that up, um, the, the the misinformation that every town puts out, because it, it is, they do that constantly, where they drag in the suicide numbers. And um, at one of the uh, commission meetings this week, um, I think it was in Wilson County, um, there was a chaplain who got up to oppose the measure during the um, the public comment section, mm-hmm. and he seemed to imply that um, preventing anyone from obtaining a firearm was the best way to keep anyone from killing themselves. Yeah, he said it's quote simply not the case that people commit suicide by any means necessary, but rather by the means that are available to the well, to them, the ones that are the most important warning signs. So there, he's saying that, you know, because you own a gun, you're going to off yourself? Right. How does that happen um, in Japan? How does Japan have twice the suicide yeah, rate that I mean, we do, and they have I'm no guns? I'm sorry. I've, I've dealt with enough health care issues in my, in my background to know that if somebody has suicidal ideation, they're going to find a way. Right. He's 100% wrong. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and just because it's a gun that happens to be an easier form, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that that's gun violence. That's not gun violence. That's suicide. Right. It it, it um, requires well yeah it, it requires a it requires a different uh, a different approach to helping those people and to avoid that violence. It it requires a different approach than. Uh, domestic violence than mass shootings. It's, they're just they're right. just different. And the other part of this, obviously, is on the mass shooting uh, uh, issue is the role of the media, uh, because these mass shooters are inspired by the media coverage. And it's the one aspect of the story that the media seems completely uninterested in ever in ever examining their own role in the uh, the rise of mass shootings in America. Uh, I wonder why. That would be why. a great study to see how many shootings happen after a mass shooting that's really hugely heavily covered mm-hmm. versus one that, you know, like a decade or two ago before they really started amping these things up. What happened when a shooting happened after that? Was there any any bump from that? Yeah. Was there, you know, what was the politicization of that? Was there more handgun buying after? Was there less? It would be interesting to see those kinds of statistics. But I think, uh, ultimately, well, I, you know, it's the person behind the, the weapon. It's the person wielding the weapon that is ultimately responsible. The yeah. weapon is an inanimate object. I think the evidence is, I think it exists, what you're asking about. It's Columbine. That was the first. And ever since then, you just see more and more and more because it's just, they keep getting more coverage. I think that's the... Uh, to me, at least, that's what—that's the obvious thing here. Um, but I—but I'm not saying restrict the freedom of the press. <laughs> I'm not saying we need to, you know, restrict the First Amendment. Um, I just—I yeah. think a lot of media needs to be more responsible in how they cover it. I know I'm asking a lot. Uh, but AP Dillon, reporter for the North State Journal, I appreciate you joining us for uh, uh, this. Now I think we're in episode. Well, I'm not really even counting these as episodes yet because we're still getting everything off the ground and all. But. Um, we will eventually be, you know, uh, getting onto the radio station with this. And so uh, we're calling it episode three. We'll call it episode two, maybe. Okay. Well, AP, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. We'll have you back and we'll do it again. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. You can read her work again at NorthStateJournalOnline.com. All right. And that's going to do it for us today. Get the podcasts at ThePeteCallenderShow.com. And any of your favorite podcast providers, except Google Play for some reason. We're working on it. it. Takes forever for some reason over there. All right, don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>